Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Greg Kramer. It's the 58th episode, and I'm here ahead of one of the weekends I look forward to the most. Of course, that is the Canadian Grand Prix. But before I preview the action with a special guest at the circuit, Gilles Villeneuve, First, a quick reminder, as ever, check out the link in the description, guys. It has links to my pages, like all the platforms you can find this podcast. And then, of course, my YouTube channel, my Break Bias Twitter account, and my TikTok. Uh, It has my email address if you'd like to contact me about anything, as well as just my personal pages, uh, my Brad Kramer Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, if you will. But now, let's not waste any time and get into my chat with a Canadian racing expert, and more importantly, a friend of the podcast, Tim I hope you guys enjoy this chat. And I welcome a special guest. It's his third time on Break Bias. He has his own podcast called Nailing the Apex, a great show, by the way. He's frequently on TSN to break down the latest on both F1 and IndyCar, and he's a former driver himself. He is Tim Haraney. How are you doing? Good, Bradley. How are you? Thanks for having me. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah, I always appreciate your time. Um, first of all, I wanted to just quickly say this, because the last time we chatted, you scolded me a bit for for not watching IndyCar. Yeah. And I will I will admit that I actually am getting into it a bit more. I'm also trying to watch a bit more F2 as well, trying to broaden my motorsport palette a little bit, I guess, but still a long way to go there. Okay, but, so thoughts on IndyCar? Man, it, it has some fantastic racing. I yeah. will say that. I was... Uh, I just watched the highlights. I didn't catch the race for, uh, it was the Detroit Grand Prix that was yep. most recent, right? Yeah. Like the battles for the lead between Pelo and, and power, I believe, right? Like brilliant stuff. I, I love that. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely trying to watch it some more. Cause as you said, the racing is brilliant, but I wanted to ask you, you know, as I know you love IndyCar. Um, well, I used to so, race there, right? Like, well, yeah, of course. That, that's yeah. where I used to, that's what I used to race. Like, I mean, being part of like the Renault driver development program, like me and a handful of other um, folks from Canada and the United States have ever got that opportunity. And, um, it, you know, my career wasn't really going in the direction of Formula One. We never had the finances. And so we were able to get North American funding to go and to go and race like in the IndyCar ladder system and do all that fun stuff with IndyCar. And uh, it, it's honestly, it's... Uh, incredible racing it's super hard it's kind of barbaric <laughs> in some sense <laughs> but uh you you know you make a mistake on their tracks and you pay for it big time and uh yeah i mean uh, it, it's it's a little different obviously than from some european like racing categories but i i would say the past few seasons IndyCar has had the most competitive driver lineup in the world. And I would also go on to say that, I mean, their races on track, the on track entertainment is the best in the world. Like, like IndyCar, like just racing. I mean, the marketing side's a different story and the off track spectacle is a different story, but like on track competition is out of this world it's the closest racing in the world i mean yeah it's uh it's so much fun to watch i don't know how you if you can't get into watching indycar if you're a motorsports 
fan like i just yeah. doesn't doesn't translate to me <laughs> yeah, no it, it really is brilliant there was some things that i had to learn like what primary and alternate was at at, at the beginning and uh just some of the tracks are like you said just insane like the detroit one is pretty crazy like one mistake and, and you're in the wall like oh, no yeah. question about it and they're racing so tight on oh, such yeah. a tight little track it, it's it's wild but uh but like hard into the wall too bradley like you oh know, you yeah pound, concrete. Like, pound <laughs> that wall like it's just yeah. oh my god like bone like bone rattling racetracks is what they race on sometimes like the the track in toronto is so bumpy dude like i remember racing on it back in like whatever it was oh six oh seven whatever the year was my last time on it and it was like rough and then i kind of went back a couple years ago um before the pandemic and i was like oh my god how are these cars not falling apart right now <laughs> like it's just brutal like that's but it's awesome i mean it's just it's great racing i love it <laughs> well one question on indycar i guess first um the indy 500 i'm sure I think I have mostly F1 fans. I don't know how many of my listeners watch IndyCar either, but if they tuned into any race, it would have been the 500. I have to ask, what are you made of that kind of last lap or last couple laps decision there? I'm sure this was well covered on your podcast. Yeah, like I think you're talking about the uh, the dragon technique that they that that new garden used that coming out of the last corner where well, he circled also, down into pit lane and came out of it type deal that is that what you well mean? yeah but also weren't people pretty critical of of the decision like i think erickson was pretty upset that they actually yeah. had like a last it's, lap race give me a break right? like everybody's <laughs> okay, okay like come on like we the thing with indycar is is like like they have a they, they don't have a rotating um staff of stewards like it's the same race officials every race they go to so the way that the races are are called by like race control and race officials it's consistent and you're going to have consistency because you have the same folks and doing the same jobs where i mean f1's a little bit different right they have a rotating cast of uh, stewards for every single weekend so sometimes calls are not as consistent and i think for f1 drivers that makes things a little more frustrating but in the case of indycar i mean i'm i'm 100 on board with what they did like you have 400,000 people there the race is sold out nobody wants to see this thing end behind a safety car i mean you've been watching spectacular racing all day why would you want to sit there and watch this thing end under a safety car like it's like all you got to do is what they did throw the throw the red on it and away you go i mean the only thing that the only thing that could be an issue is obviously with ericsson cold tires yes but like these guys are professionals like they know they've they've done so many laps on ims at at up to this point that they know what the cold tire is going to feel like they know what the car is going to do and so they know what they can do with it the problem with ericsson is he's a sitting duck yeah. He's, he's he's leading the race that's going to allow joseph newgarden if he's brave enough you got to go flat out through turn two like the short shoot into two you got to go flat through there which he did because it was either he was going to do that or the car was coming home in a ball right and he did what he had to do and the thing is is that erickson's punching a hole in the air newgarden's going to take advantage of him and that's how it went down and look i mean could Here's the other thing, right? Like, could and I, I haven't really talked about this, but if if Marcus Erickson doesn't do his dragon technique thing 
last year to win the Indy 500. Do you yeah. think Joseph Newgarden does it this year to win the Indy 500? Because I guarantee you, if Marcus Erickson doesn't do that move last year, Joseph Newgarden doesn't do it this year, Marcus Erickson's probably going to be your winner this year, which means he would have won it twice. That's interesting. Think about and... that for a sec. Think about that, yeah. right? Yeah. That, that is go. interesting. Because he set the standard and the officials didn't the officials didn't penalize him for it last year. Yep. And so Joe News like, well, hell of it. Like I'm going to do exactly what he did because he didn't get penalized. <laughs> so I'm going to do it too. And so what that yep. allows him to do is that allows Joseph to break the toe. So break the wind mm-hmm. that's coming off of his car. And that's going to put Marcus in a compromised position because he's now getting all the wind hitting his car, which is going to slow him down, breaking the toe. Essentially, he's not going to be able to get by. Yeah. There and doing that on an, on an F1 straight, is like considered an atrocity basically, but. Uh... Well, yeah. I mean, like that's, I mean, cause like, then you got to look at it is, is Erickson or sorry, is Newgarden at that point, how many moves is he making or yeah. is he just moving his car before Erickson has had a chance to move his. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right? it definitely was weaving um, to, to break the toe, as you said, and, and Erickson just trying to follow him and, 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 and he went over the pit lane. Like, yeah, that was kind solid of the white part, line. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, no. I, and that's where I'm like, I think like, I mean, all fair game, right? Like they even talked about it that, I mean, we spoke to the drivers about this, um exact scenario happening we spoke to the drivers about it a few days before the indy 500 even started and they were all like yeah we're gonna do it we gotta do it like indycar wasn't gonna penalize it they had let the drivers know that they weren't gonna do anything about it and away away they went and did their thing but now looking forward i mean i don't see how they let this keep happening like i really don't i i think i think it turns into a penalty next year Oh, interesting. So I, I don't think they can do it because it's like, yeah. you got to think of like the uh, safety factor and all this too, right? Like you're having cars sure. like heading down <laughs> pit lane. If, yeah. Like if it gets could miles roll right in there, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I guess. But so well, it I, certainly, I it certainly did make for a great spectacle at the end. I, I was curious what you thought and I agree with you. I think it was definitely better to have that last lap of racing, but I have to get, to this point, new news with you. You are no longer the host of the TSN Racing Pod. You have the Nailing the Apex podcast. Uh, now, now you've joined the Steve Dangle Podcast Network. Uh, just tell me about that, what happened there, and and what made you join SDPN? Well, I, I found Bradley with um, like the TSN Racing Pod. It was great. I had a ton of fun doing it. I was producing everything. Um, and it, it was taking a while and I had like other things like that I had to do that were like it really required my attention. And so I felt like I wasn't putting the amount of effort that I should have been putting into that podcast. And so I thought, okay, well, coming into 2023, I'm just going to, I'm not going to do a podcast this year because I'm going to be extra busy doing other things. And so that needs my attention over the the podcast and it has a had a big following but i also was like god it sucks i don't want to leave those people without any content but at the end of the day i'm like i have to i have to do this over here and it was interesting i i adam wild from the sdpn he uh, i didn't know adam 
And he and I started chatting in November 2022 and he, he kept you know talking to me about doing a podcast doing a podcast for them and, and i was kind of like ah look you know i got my own thing here and i'm like hey, honestly it's just been taking me a long time to kind of um get through it and i don't think i'm gonna do one next year and then they came back to me in january and they're like hey like we got an idea and they pitched me the idea and i was like well okay yeah that that makes sense to me i don't i don't have to put like a whole ton of time into it i can just show up and hit record and talk about some racing and then i can leave and and um yeah they've been really great to work with i mean everyone i've been able to work with like with tsn have been incredible everybody i've been to work with been able to work with with the sdpm people they've been incredible too and i think you know for me i'm extremely fortunate to get these opportunities um and yeah, I'm having a blast, man. It's a lot of fun, like doing both things. It has been a has been a riot, man. Like, and it's just kind of like uh, I, I know I know how fortunate I am, and it's kind of like I like I'm uh, I'm I'm a eternal optimist at at times, but like yeah, I'm excited to see where this where it all goes because racing in Canada is like really starting to turn into this like huge yeah. friggin' thing, and I wasn't, you know, my goal you know, back in like 2013, when I first started in the media industry and pushing racing and pushing formula one and all that kind of stuff, you know, it was always to grow, um, motorsports in Canada, but it like, it, it's been growing so fast. And like the podcast is big in the USA. Like it's, it's pretty big yeah. in Canada, but like it's, it's big in the USA. And I'm like, Oh wow. Reaching a lot of people here. And then you know, it's also big over in Europe as well. Like we have listeners from like, we have a global fan base that is tuned in to listen to nailing the apex. And it's like, yeah, I just, I'm just so fortunate to to get these opportunities. It's been great, man. I'm having a great time. Yeah. Well, you do a great job. I, I love the new show. Um, <laughs> I recommend it to anyone who listens to this podcast, to check it out. I saw that you just had a chat though with Haas team principal Gunther Steiner. How awesome is that? How, how, yeah. how was that? Oh, it was great. I mean, um, Haas set that up. They they were they were intrigued and uh, yeah. So we we moved forward. And we set something up and uh, Gunther was great. I mean, I've known, you know, I've interviewed Gunther many times in the past, and uh, just to getting get a chance to to chat with him again one on one, it's always fun because I'm always learning something from him. I always find that you know with Gunther, everybody. Uh, everybody always like laughs at him or with him or whatever, but you know, he's actually like, he's a very intelligent man. Like he is, Oh, for sure. He is extremely intelligent and hardworking. Like this guy, this guy works. I thought I worked hard. Like this guy, like <laughs> this guy works, dude. Like he's flying from North Carolina all the way to the next race, then back to the factory, like in and around the UK, or he's going up to Marinello or another part of their factory is mm -hmm. sorry excuse me he's flying to banbury then he's like either up in marinello or whatever or he's over at you know steiner ranch in north carolina with his family like he's all over the the place he's never not sitting in one place it is it, it is wild his book i don't know if you've had a chance to read it yet bradley but his book surviving to drive is worth is worth buying um i i bought I bought the book and then I bought the audible and yeah. like the book's incredible, but the audible is even better because he's actually talking to you. 
And so like, I'll go on these long bike rides, um, up North, like I'll, I'll go for like three, four hour bike rides. And like, I'll be listening to, sometimes I listen to books and like, I, li- I listen to his book and it's like, it was about seven hours. So it took me about three or three rides or so to get through it. But it, it felt like he was there with me on the ride. Is it was yeah. just inc- it's just incredible, and it's like it's it's journal entries. So he's telling you he's literally walking you through his day to day and what he's actually doing in the day, and sometimes what he's like even eating, like where is he going? What is he? Do- <laughs> it is so cool because like you're yeah, literally look at his life, yeah, yeah, and you're getting you're in his head, like he's like. He's talking to you while you're doing whatever you're doing. Like for me, I was riding my bike. He felt like he was with me while I was riding my bike. And he's telling me all these stories. I'm like, oh my God, this is incredible, right? I'm so entertained. Like, yeah, it's, um, if you're a fan of his, if you're a fan of Formula One, it's worth it. It's definitely, it's definitely worth your money. Um, and yeah, he, he was great on nailing the apex on Thursday and uh, had a lot of fun uh chatting with him as well so it was pretty cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> a special cool. life anyone in f1 must live and to just get like a little piece of that would be awesome but uh you did some traveling recently i saw that you went down to miami to I cover did. that race how was that I, I was that the first time you did that i don't remember you being in miami last year did you actually were you there yeah last so yeah tsn sent us last year and oh, okay. it was it was um I mean, it was the first time for the Miami Grand Prix last year and the star, like the biggest stars in the world were there. Like Tom Brady was there. David Beckham yeah. was there. Um, Dwayne Wade and his wife were there. Michael Jordan was there. Uh, the first lady was there. Like like Barack Obama's wife was there. Like, wow. Like, anybody and everybody was there. It was it was awesome. And it was like, the race wasn't that good, but like the off track spectacle was incredible, man. I've never seen anything like it in my life. And for this year, I mean, TSN had saw, seen what, what a great job we did last year. They were like, yeah, we're going to send you again because you guys like crushed it. And so we went back and this time, like we, we did even more. Like it was like, we did a lot. We raised our game even more. We, like TSN and I, like we were, we were working every hour was like accounted for. Like we were, it was 8 a.m. We were probably at the track, 8 or 9, 8 or 9 a.m. We were at the track and every single hour we were there, we were, we were doing stuff all the way through to like seven or eight o'clock at night. Sometimes like later, like we were there like almost 12, 13 hours sometimes. Like that, that must be why I saw you, I guess. You, you were working around the clock, but oh, please man, tell me. Great. You're doing the same in Vegas this year. I, I hope so. I hope we get to go. Um, I'm going to the British Grand Prix and going to be going to Texas again because Texas is one of my favorite uh, awesome. Formula One races to go to. Uh, aside from like, honestly, aside from Canada, I would say Texas is number two because <laughs> that is awesome, man. Like even the stuff that's happening off track in Austin. There's always something going down, dude. It is so much fun. And the race is always good. Like you never really get a bad race at Coda. Like I don't I don't remember too many like really boring races there. And I would say yeah, I'd be going to that one and then I'm going to Mexico, hopefully Vegas. And then I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do for the year like after. If I I kind of want to go to like 
open testing when it starts, like preseason testing, and I kind of want to be okay. there for the first race of the season. So we'll see. Those are those are just ideas I've been throwing up in the air. So awesome. Well, I hope you get to Vegas because oh sure yeah, me that too. will be, be quite the party. <laughs> yeah, it'd be pretty <laughs> but, awesome. Man. But the first the first party has to happen in Montreal. That's what we're here to talk about. Um, and I think I asked you this question last year. Um, but I just feel like it's always so cool, especially with, you know, us being Canadian, this weekend is universally loved by fans, teams, drivers alike. Why, why is that? I think like one of the things is it's such a, like, it's a classic, if that makes any sense. Like, and it's a, it is like a traditional, well, it's pretty, pretty close to a traditional racetrack because it's been there for so long and, they're the only thing they really needed to do was improve on a few safety things, but it's, it's a driver's track still. Um, you have, uh, you have technical bits, but you also have some big commitment bits. And I think for the drivers, they, they love that. And the sense that the, the track is like a go-kart track for them. They can really use the curbs where at other races, they can't really use the curbs because the way they're built with Canada, the curbs are a unique way where, some of them they can just jump right over and like that's kind of like karting and when i raced there i always felt the same way like there were some curves you could kind of hit and nail them and there were some curves you kind of had to stay away from and you can really beatbox the car around which is what i loved and i'm sure they're the same way the atmosphere on top of that is probably the other thing like this race is packed man like they get four hundred thousand people for the entire weekend and like it's sold out again this year i mean getting onto the island is is cool if you're a driver because you know you you come down off the um you come down off the off ramp and you're heading into the park itself and there's fans lined up along the bridge like waiting to like see if they can look in the car and see if you're in there right and you drive by like this army of fans there's just so many people passing like you're passing so many people as you're driving into the track and they're all looking at the cars to see. And so I always like stick my phone out of the car and like videotape them as I go by, like waving to everybody and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and like, they're, I don't want them to think I'm like a driver or anything, but it's like, I just think it's so cool, man. Um, and then the nightlife on top of it is, is great. I mean, Montreal does it right. They have things happening all over the city and it's uh it's tough to drive around the city um it's better to walk during the grand prix weekend but there's there's parties there's good food everywhere all across montreal it is awesome the entire city just shuts down for grand prix racing and an influx of fans come from all over the world for this thing and and you know it's good for canada like it, it brings in like it brings in like a lot of money, man. Like I know in years past, I don't know what it is now, but years past it would bring in easily a hundred million dollars into our economy. Like no Jeez. question asked. Like, yeah. And that's people kind of like flying in, going to the Grand Prix, sticking around, and then they would travel somewhere else in Canada. Maybe they would go to Banff. Maybe they would go out to BC and check out Vancouver. Maybe they'll go to Whistler. Maybe they'll go like further out East or St. John's or whatever. Right. Like they'll stick around within Canada and turn it into a full trip. Yeah, so they're already here, so they might as well check out the rest, right? <laughs> yeah, ex exactly, right? I mean, Canada yeah. does have a lot to offer. I mean, like, for sure, it's um, Canada's different in that way, I find. Like, I've traveled all over the world, but I find with, with Canada, we have so many unique places in our country, and we have so much 
um, vast, wide open, you know, territory. And outside of that, you know, I always say to people like you go to like, if you want to be like in wilderness or you want to go outdoors or you want like hiking, surfing, skiing, um, all of those things, snowboarding in, in the same day, I'm like, just go to Vancouver because yeah. I think Vancouver on a sunny day, <laughs> I think Vancouver on a sunny day is one of the most beautiful places on the face of the earth you can ever see. And it's kind of, like I always tell people whenever they come to Canada, I'm always like, yeah, you know, you want to do, I mean, every city is unique in its own way. They all offer great things, but just make sure you hit them all and make sure you get to Vancouver because it's beautiful out there too. So it's, I yeah, always I, I've been there and it, very important point of emphasis on a, on a sunny day because yes. uh, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit up in the air, whether you're going to get that sometimes, but uh, yes. I think we got to get into the Canadian Grand Prix. Uh, last year, it returned after a two-year hiatus. Max Verstappen won from Carlos Sainz. It was actually a really tight battle between them at the end. Can anyone take the fight to Red Bull this weekend, though? I think that's the million-dollar question, and it, it's it's not really looking too likely. But who is the favorite to be second, at least? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think I think we haven't seen all of what the Ferraris can do with the new upgrades. I think Ferrari might be quick here in Canada. Uh, this weekend coming up because you know they they were quick here last year. I think they can get a better understanding of the race pace, not necessarily the one lap pace. And I think for for like a team like Ferrari, I think what's important for for them is maybe not aiming too much on that one lap pace and trying to find a better balance with all selection of tires. If that makes any sense. Because no, one of the things sure. that, yeah, like one of the things Ferrari was having issues with during um, the Spanish Grand Prix is the difference in tires. So if you look at Carlos Sainz's first stint, like he was pretty competitive, right? And then once they switched him off, I believe it was a soft compound he started on, but once they switched him off of that compound and onto another, the characteristics of the car changed. And then you started to see him start to like, fall back and you saw the mercedes start to like move forward hamilton think, at the at the end of his soft stint was almost matching signs yeah, on his new tire exactly yeah, right? for sure so there's a there's not a great there's not a great amount of understanding as to why that is and i think for ferrari it's trying to understand what is what what is the issue with with our consistency? Why are we so inconsistent on different car tire compounds at one race? Was it the weather? Was it the way we have the balance of the car? Which I think that's what it is. And if we can get that issue dialed in, then what is their pace compared to the Red Bull at that point? Because I think at the end of the day, if I think if Ferrari can honestly, if Ferrari can figure out what what that race pace is, what it looks like. I think they claw back a bit of performance to Red Bull. And I'm not saying they claw all of it back. That's not what I'm saying. What yeah. I'm saying is I, I think they kind of cut that deficit down where at the end of a race, it's not 24 second lead. It's like maybe 10 type deal, which is a huge uh, improvement for them. And like looking at, looking at Mercedes, I'm still, I'm optimistic for them because, you know, I think, uh, I think the upgrades that they've brought are working. And I think they think that as well. It's whether or not the weather played a factor. And I think that's what needs to be looked at for them. 
whether or not they're going to be competitive in Canada, we just have to wait and see how that all plays out. I think it was a definitely a great start for them, and the verdict might still be out a little bit just because it's it's only been one race. Give it some time. But I do feel like the underrated part of Red Bull's dominance this year is just how much they understand their car compared to the likes of Mercedes and Ferrari. And I guess you can throw Aston in that mix too. And and tell me if I'm being too critical of Ferrari here, but of those top four teams, they seem like they definitely understand their package the least. Yeah, I mean, you're you're not being too hard on them. I think that's uh, I think I think that's that's a consensus there. I mean, it kind of seems like it, anyways. They understand the one lap pace, which is why we've only seen them, you know, qualify what like second and third, and like their gap to Red Bull during qualifying isn't isn't that it's not that big but yeah it's like trying to figure out what is the best balance between race pace and quality pace and what does that look like because with your one lap pace you know the car is just chewing through the tires immediately but you're also getting the maximum performance out of it but then when you look at the race you're taking a similar that that setup into the race and it's chewing through your tires so there has to be a balance there that you can find where your race pace is going to be fast. And that's like one of the things I think Bradley that not a lot of people are talking about is that, you know, Red Bull's one lap pace is good, but their race pace is incredible, which means that they spent most of the off season understanding what to make, what's going to make them fast during a race. And that's, that's what they've been working on. It's not necessarily like what's going to make us fast over one lap. It's what's going to make us fast when we get into the actual like race itself. And that's a good understanding of the tires, a good understanding of your aerodynamic platform, a good understanding of what your driver can do, and then building components around that. And I think, you know, they've, they've hit a, you know, Adrian Newey and his staff have, they've hit a home run. Like it's, you know, for sure they just, they just have <laughs> <laughs> yeah ab- absolutely i mean people are talking about whether this is the most dominant car and whether they can win every single race this season um and i just i think wh- like you were talking about this with gunther you know so many cars this year are struggling to uh make sure they're in that window of performance when is the red bull ever not in their window yeah, you know what exactly. i mean like, like they're yeah. they exactly yeah they've got a good performance right like it's uh, sorry they've got a good platform so if you look at uh, the Aston Martin where I don't know if you ever recall hearing this, but like Fernando Alonso had spoken about it a few times where he said, we have a good platform to build from. Yeah. And like, basically that's your base. That's your baseline race car that you've now got. And you need to take that with you into the future. So you're going to have that for a few years where they have that baseline now where they can like really build upon where Red Bull had that baseline last year. And now they're starting to improve on that, you know, baseline where Mercedes has gone backwards just so they can go forwards again. And Ferrari is doing something similar. They are going backwards to go forwards again. And so you're kind of like holding yourself back in that development war because of that. But if you look at what like the Red Bull um, can do with the stable platform, um, they're able to do more things, right? Like the weight of the car went under braking, they're, they're designing this system where there's not a lot of like weight fluctuation from rear to the front or front to the rear. So your platform stays even stabler, which means the aerodynamics are going to work better. Your ride height's going to work better. Your tires are going to work better. It's just they have to have all of those things working together. It's really, 
man, it's it's incredible what uh, it's incredible what they've done considering like having a sporting penalty like they've got. Like it's and they it's basically impressive. have a year's advantage on everyone else because around this time Mercedes was still or and Ferrari, you know, still working on their old packages and they've just brought these new ones where he said throughout the baseline red bull's been working on their baseline since the start of the regulations right so um it, it's it's going to be really hard for any team to claw back i think i don't think a lot of people want to talk about it just because it's kind of <laughs> depressing but they could be easily still maintaining this advantage into into a couple years from now yeah. um uh, and I think with the balance that I was talking to to Gunther about is is um, to give you some perspective on that is uh, if you I don't really want to explain this. So if you look at how what well, we use, let's use the Haas for an example, because actually it's it's a good example. Like Nico Hulkenberg will go out and qualifying and he'll set a blisteringly fast lap, like incredible, like one lap. Yeah. And that's the car working well with the tire. And it's also Nico, like really bringing some big time performances to the plate at the same time. But then once it gets into the race, it kind of like the car falls out of that window of balance where it's not working with different types of tires for a longer period of time. And so what that is, is kind of like they call it the sweet spot with the car where it's it's using the tires in just the right window but it's so particular because track temperature can change that balance air temperature can change that balance uh wind direction can also play a factor in that balance and and that's what where you look at the red bull it just has such a huge operating window that it that that car doesn't really worry about any of those things like they don't have to worry about any of those issues and so that to give you a better like insight into what we were kind of explaining on that, because I know it may be a little too technical for people, but essentially that's what we were talking about. Well, you bring up the Haas, a car that can qualify super well <laughs> and then doesn't understand its tires in the race. What, what does that sound like? Yeah. I mean, Ferrari, right? Like, I, it, <laughs> but, but again, like it's not just Ferrari either. I mean, if you look at Mercedes, it's a similar type of thing problem that they've had in the past not so much in spain um and then what other team kind of looks like that you know alfa romeo does as well alfa tower i mean they all do in, in all honesty except for red bull and i would say aston martin i think aston martin's just got that such a great platform it just they just do and same with obviously red bull but yeah um I, I want to get to aston martin in a second because they had kind of a strange weekend in spain but i wanted to first ask you about this and if you don't really know much about this or can't speak to this that's fine but i wanted to ask you just about alfa romeo they just signed mm -hmm. mclaren technical or former mclaren technical mm -hmm. director james key mm -hmm. just what do you know about him and, and how do you see this team progressing before it becomes audi because i feel like they're kind of the most anonymous team on the grid right now i i hope i'm not being too harsh on them but i feel like that kind of is the case yeah they're inconsistent right and if you look at the structure that was put in place at Alfa Romeo Sauber where Andreas Seidel left McLaren, right? The team principal from McLaren leaves in the middle or sorry, during the winter season and he goes over and signs this huge deal with Alfa Romeo to help them usher in Audi into 2026. You know, Andreas Seidel is a guy who worked closely with James Key, right? At McLaren. They were both at McLaren. So the guy, like he knows him, he knows what he can do. He knows what he can bring to the table. 
And so it only makes sense that, you know, this, this, this transaction happens because he is a safe pair of hands to put that job into. And that's the thing with like, uh, with formula one, with anything really in life where it's kind of like, you need a lot of experience for people to trust you to do big jobs. And you have to have that experience. And with James Key, like he's got a ton of experience. This guy's been around in Formula One, like doing big jobs forever, right? And it's not, it, it, it's it's not a bad signing, I think, for Alfa Romeo. I think it's a good one because I think Andreas Seidel knows how to um, get good work out of him because you know that McLaren car was pretty good a few years ago, if I remember correctly, right? And it was good last season too. It wasn't bad. It was good actually. You know they're battling Alpine for fourth in the constructors. So, yeah, for sure. And in that same vein with McLaren, um, how you know beneficial might this be bringing in someone like Rob Marshall from Red Bull? Huge. That's a big time. That's a big time move. That's like uh, Aston Martin going to get Dan Fallows, right, from Red Bull. Like Red Bull's kind of being cleaned out at the moment. <laughs> but it's not uh, Nui. No, yeah. No, he's not going anywhere. But that's the thing, right? Yeah. It's kind of like everybody <laughs> learns from Nui's the top dog and it kind of bleeds down into everybody else, right? It's as a whole, that's kind of like how they have their system um, set up, which is the right thing to do. But these guys are going to have so much knowledge that they can bring with them. And it only makes sense. I mean, that's a great signing for, for McLaren. That's huge. It is. It's massive. I mean, his impact at the team will probably be felt, you know, as soon as he, whatever the gardening leave is, I don't remember what it is, but whenever he comes off of that, the team is going to feel his impact right away. It's going to be huge. I could, I could be wrong. I think he's able to start basically at the beginning of 2024. There you go. Um, And I think McLaren has some things in the pipeline in terms of like their new wind tunnel coming in soon as well so hopefully all these things start clicking at the same time yeah so the wind tunnel is is operational but they haven't put any cars in it just yet and okay so it is working because i spoke with andres stella about that and he did say like i can i didn't ask him the question but he did say that like hey i can hear the wind tunnel firing up from my office some days when i'm sitting in my office and he's like it's a sign of like positive things happening. And I think for them, that's going to be huge. I mean, at the moment they're shipping all of their stuff out to the, um, out to Cologne, like to the Toyota wind tunnel. And that's a huge, that's a huge deal, man. Like Mercedes can just roll their car next door and like set up shop and get that thing going where McLaren's got to pack it all up and put it in shipping containers and send it out to Germany. And then they've got to fly there. Then they've got to do their own research and then they got to bring it all back. And so that slows down your uh, processes for getting new components to the race car. And so if you can have that on site, which has become a huge deal, I mean, that's awesome. And I think for McLaren, they're going to notice that as well immediately once they, once they have it and once they have it up and, um, uh, up and operational. So a lot of stuff happening down at McLaren for sure. They have some big upgrades coming too. Like they had a, they had their big upgrade in Azerbaijan. Uh, they have another yep. round of a big upgrade though coming. Um, it's either Austria or Hungary in around there. They're going to have okay. another really big upgrade um, for their car. And then they're going to have one more really big one after uh, the summer break. So that's a huge turnover of, of components and, I think that's all thanks to the regulations and all honesty. 
Well, some good news coming for McLaren fans. I know it's been a bit of a tough year for them, for sure. Uh, I know I have a mm-hmm. few that listen to this podcast that I know. Uh, <laughs> so there you go. From Tim Araney, uh, it's, it's looking bright in the in McLaren's future. Um, <laughs> uh, Aston Martin, though, as I said, I wanted to get to them, and specifically Lance Stroll, who uh, said he was looking forward to getting some maple syrup on his pancakes mm-hmm. at the end of the Spanish Grand Prix. I don't know if you caught that uh, radio message, but <laughs> I was on his radio here. for that race. Like I was listening. Oh, okay. There you into go. Into his old radio for that race. <laughs> yeah. So I caught it at the end. Um, but yeah, it'd be good for him to come back to Canada. Uh, I know he misses it here. Uh, he's been looking forward to trying to get back here. Uh, I spoke with him a couple of weeks ago about it. And yeah, he's fired up, man. Like uh, we ended up, doing like this huge 20 minute sit down interview with him and Aston Martin. And we built like this really cool feature on TSN that we're going to air next week. Uh, awesome. A feature on Lance, but then we're also, we also did a bigger feature on Aston Martin as a team as a whole. And I think those are going to come out Monday, Wednesday of the Canadian Grand Prix week. And um, yeah, it was good to catch up with him again. I mean, I've known Lance for a long time. Um, and I think like for him to sustain the injuries that he had sustained before the start of the season, I mean, it was, boy, he's, um, he's a tough guy. That's, uh, those are, those were some big injuries and, you know, he gained a lot of respect. I think those, those first couple weekends for sure, especially Bahrain with his performance with that. I, I absolutely. Yeah, and the thing is, is that like these cars aren't, uh, these cars aren't like easy to drive. I mean, it's not like he—it's not like your normal road-going car where you ha- have this wonderful power steering and you can just, you know, it's nice and cushy and everything feels good. Like these are hard race cars. The environment is extremely harsh. This—the steering, like the load of the steering, is like immense. The amount of brake pressure you need to apply just to slow the car down i mean you're talking 300 pounds of force being put into the brake pedal from your left foot and then same thing goes with the gas pedal as well because gravity's trying to pull it off and you can't let that happen so you're leaning on the gas pedal at the same time and like he had fractures on so many different parts of his body and it was like and he wasn't taking um like he wasn't taking any like big time painkillers for it either. Like he was like, he muscled through that and like he earned a lot of respect in the paddock for doing that and also putting in a really good performance. And then it's, it's like have to let the body recover, but at the same time lost so much time in testing and not understanding the limits of the car. And normally what you do for testing, like any racing driver, first time you get into a new car and once testing rolls around, these are all new cars, you need to understand where the limit of the car is. What will it do? um, What are its characteristics? So when you take it to the limit, you know what it's going to give you. Like, you know, you're going to get snaps or, you know, like it gives you subtle oversteer or, you know, that it gives you um, a lot of front push. Like you just have these understandings with the car that that once you take it there, you know what's going to happen. So if you go to like a track like Saudi Arabia, like you can take it to the limit and understand that, hey, when I have this moment, I'm going to be able to bring the car back and it's not going to go straight into the wall. 
if you look at we'll use Nicholas Latifi last season in um in Saudi Arabia that car was just so inconsistent on the balance where it was hard to trust and understand what the car was doing and so you cannot perceive what it's going to do when you take it to the limit and that's one of the big things with racing and cars is you always have to have your mind in front of the car you always need to be thinking ahead of the car and understanding and knowing what you're going to do when you get to your reference points and how far you're going to take things and be prepared for whatever the outcomes are going to be. And so that's how much concentration and thinking you're doing ahead of the race car while you're traveling at 330 kilometers an hour, right? You're literally like trying to look as and think as far ahead as you can. And so I think missing those opportunities and testing is a huge um, disadvantage to him. And I think, and I've said this before that it takes multiple races to gain that confidence and to un- gain that understanding because you don't get many laps in practice. You don't get many laps in qualifying. You get a lot of laps in racing, but you're also, when you're racing, you're managing, you're not, you're not pushing right you're yeah. not you're not too start with the time to test things out either yeah, you, you know <laughs> yeah and, and so if you're in practice and you're pushing to the limit and but you don't know what that limit is or you don't know what the cars and you stack the car up you're you're toast man like your whole weekend's ruined you've lost a whole day you've lost a ton of information you've lost confidence so for Lance, it's always been like build up, build up, build up, build up, qualifying, execute, build up, build up, build up, build up, qualifying, execute kind of thing. And and I think that for him, like that's been that's been what's what's kept him performing like really well. Like he's he is driving really well. Like he's he had a rough Monaco Grand Prix. I mean, pretty much anyone who started in the back half of the grid in Monaco Grand Prix had a shocker. So, yeah, but not really. (laughs) But again, though, it's like I'm not trying to make excuses, but not his fault. Like in Q2, I think it was a piece of Lando's car, like broke a huge piece of Lance's floor off. And so that's going to put you at such a performance disadvantage because like all of the work is being done by the floor of these race cars. That's where all the performance is. So if you break it or it's broken or something falls off, I mean, you're in a lot of trouble and you're going to lose a ton of performance. And so that's what kept him from advancing and qualifying. And then in the race, yeah, again, like just, it was a disaster for him. And I think (laughs) coming into Spain out qualifying Fernando and like, can't remember what pause let's do a podcast and one of the people were like yeah you know fernando would have qualified him i'm like uh would he have though like i don't i don't think so like if we take a look at the deltas like alonzo lost performance from having um a bit of damage to the underfloor of the car but it wasn't enough to it wouldn't have been enough to even put him above lance so i think that was like for lance in uh, in qualifying that's generally like that's him at a good pace like that's him being very competitive and then same with the race i mean i think that the race would have been like if they had of like let the two of them race that would have been like something like that would have been a pretty, pretty yeah at the battle. end there yeah. but um but again i think he's coming into canada with 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 a lot of confidence so is fernando like it was funny like uh fernando at the end of spain he was like what did he say i'm trying to remember what he said to us it was like uh like, I think he, like, I don't want to like misquote him, but I'm paraphrasing here, but 
I think he feels that they can they can claw back a lot of performance to Red Bull. And I think he also feels like for some reason, like he like Canada's gonna be a good event for for them. Like that's what that's the that's the understanding I took away from it was that like Canada was going to be like a key event for them and it was going to be a big event for them. And so I'm that cost me, asked me curious. Like, I wonder like, are they bringing in a new upgrade for the car? Because they knew up, they, they, they need new upgrades on the Aston Martin. Like they just do. Yeah. So I hope I didn't talk too much and like, no, I, I, I thought the insight <laughs> about Stroll, I just like, talked for like 10 minutes straight. <laughs> the insight about Stroll and testing was, I think very interesting. You know, we talked about, how important it is to understand the car for the team, but also for the drivers. I, I couldn't imagine how much of of a mental game driving is. Cool. And I think a lot of people, yeah, ex- ex- exactly. Um, and no, I think all that was, was interesting to hear. Um, and I think Canada is an interesting one for Aston Martin because as a team, um, Stroll has done well here. They were, I think, all right here last year. Of course, completely different car. Uh, Alonso was on the front row last year. Um, So I think this is a weekend where hopefully like you, you see them bouncing back. I do. I think so. Like, I think, I think they need, I think the car needs to get faster. I don't think it's fast enough anymore. I think that the, like, like the Ferraris and the Mercedes have already started to claw into their performance gains. And I think Aston Martin needs a big upgrade. Not, I don't want to say like, I don't want to say like monumentally big, but like, I, w- I would say they need a fair performance upgrade to the car and they need it relatively soon if they kind of want to keep this top three battle going for them or else I could see them falling to fourth. And it's that's funny. Where I could see them. So it's, it, it's funny how we're talking about them like, oh, they need to be getting second now. We're at the beginning. Like, this is already a win, right? It's kind it, of funny 100%. that the expectations have completely changed and the people within the team have, have said that as well, right? Yeah. Um, so it is kind of funny. And I think it's been said many times at this point how this, the expectations from, from race one have completely changed for the team, which is it, awesome for them. And I'm hoping too. that, uh, like, if, if you're a Canadian or, you know, I mean, it's Canadian owned, like, it's, it, you know, I don't want to say it's a Canadian team. I mean, obviously no. it's a British team, but like it's owned by Canadian, right? It's got a Canadian driver. I'm like, that's, I'm, it's probably the most Canadian team. <laughs> I, I would say were, like, if there was it, one. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it's great. I, I think, uh, I think it's fantastic for, for our country. And I think it's, I think it's, uh, yeah, I, I love it, man. I think it's so cool because I, and like g- granted, like, where they were last season it's just a great story like constructor standings p7 they they were at some points like whatever it was p9 p10 and and they managed to claw their way up to p7 and then second place in the constructor standings for a while this season it's like that's a huge turnaround i don't know any other team in the history of the sport that's like had that turnaround yeah if you look back to australia last year People were saying they were the worst car in the grid, oh, and yeah. I think I think by the end of the year they were actually almost to the back of McLaren and Alpine already. Like yeah. their development throughout the year was sensational, yeah. and then the car that they bring to the beginning of this year, people in testing were like trying to I think measure their expectations, but everyone was like, "This looks really promising." <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we saw it play out, of course, with uh, Alonso's great drive, and of course Stroll with severely compromised wrists taking the car to to where he did so it's been an incredible year for them um but i want to get to 
some predictions for the Canadian Grand Prix. But first, I wanted to just open it up to you. If there's any storylines that you know you're excited to see play out in Canada, and what we can expect from your coverage, I know you've you've teased a few things already. So going to be doing like very TSN heavy. So. Um, which is awesome. All in this year, there's going to be a ton of stuff on TSN social, ton of stuff on their digital, and then also a ton of stuff on Sports Center um, as well. I'll 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 be on some social stuff, and I'll be on quite a bit of the TV side. Like I'll be you'll be seeing my face a lot on that side. Um, so yeah, on that point, like really excited. Uh, for that, have like a ton of really cool driver one-on-one interviews. I don't want to spoil that I that we've got lined. I was able to get us um, some big names, so it's going to be a lot of fun. I have to sit down <laughs> with some pretty big people, like when I get there. So I'm very excited and grateful for the opportunity from the teams um, to come to me with, with some of the stuff that come to me with. It's been great. Uh, but yeah, you want to check everything out on tsn.ca for sure. Same with their social channels. And then obviously you want to watch Sports Center as well. There's going to be lots of stuff there. And their YouTube channel too. There's going to be lots of stuff on there as well. Um, predictions? After Max, of course. Yeah, I think, <laughs> you know, you know what would be odd? Like, if we, it'd be great if there's going to be rain for the... I know, like... Like, it's tough for me to sit here and say, like, I hope it rains during the race, but, like, it's bad for me if it rains during the race because I'm going to get soaked <laughs> at the same time. It's like, you know, I think it really spice things up a lot with um, with the race, but I uh, I absolutely I absolutely love watching uh, drivers absolutely send it through the wall of champions, like in qualifying is, is one of my favorite things. And um, for the race, I, I would say, I'm going to say Verstappen is going to win. And followed closely, though, by Carlos Sainz and Lance Stroll. Again, third. okay. I All right. Lance, you know, I say Lance third. I say Lance gets a love that. in Canada. Love that. And can anyone take pole position other than Max? No, it's Max for sure. <laughs> okay, okay. I, don't, not, I mean, not unless, like, not unless uh, Ferrari, like, just decides like hell with it. We're going all in on one lap pace. Go <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. I, I would have max uh, pull and win as well. Um, I feel like Sergio's got to get back up there to P2 at some point. He's had a bit of a rough stretch, um, but I'm with you. I'm, I'm fully back in Lance Stroll P3 uh, this weekend. So I love that uh, prediction what, from you. What do you think's going on with uh, like, what's going on with Sergio Bradley? What's up? What's up there? What's happening? What do you think? I, I, I don't know. I just think he's up against a complete beast of a driver. Max Verstappen is so damn good. Um, and I think what Christian Horner actually said at the end of the Spanish Grand Prix was very interesting where he said now he's got nothing to lose and he should be performing better. Because I do think I, I, I'll say this. Um, the mistakes in qualifying to me are a little bit unforgivable, especially Monaco Q1. That is in, in a Red Bull to do that is a little um, crazy to me. Um, I know I'm just a uh, watching from the fan uh, the stance here, and it's not easy to to do what they do. But to crash it in Q1 in Monaco is is a pretty massive mistake in a Red Bull that is, is so dominant. Um, I think it's he just has so much to go up against, and uh, as much as he wants to push off that pressure. 
I feel like he has to be feeling it if he really does want to bring a championship home to Mexico. Yeah, I think um, it was interesting. I, I think Miami was a turning point. I mean, for Sergio, oh, it's yeah. always like he's always been so great with tires. And I think that's kind of what gave him a bit of an advantage at the beginning of the season is just having like that solid foundation of understanding of tires. And once he got into the race, you know, Max and Sergio were on the, the alternate strategies. And we really saw like Max claw his way through the field. And while Sergio was on another tire, he was on another, Max was on a different tire as well. And then once that strategy sort of kicked in and Max was able to like extend some things and do a few things differently that Sergio couldn't do. I think that's Sergio was, was, I think Sergio was rattled by that. I I really do. And I think that's what kind of set off what we saw happen at Monaco. Um, And then again, in Spain, uh, same sort of thing like that, that car should have been P2 uh, in, in Spain. I mean, you have to wonder, like, if that was Max in that car and starting where Sergio started, would Max have won? It's, it's exactly what I said on on my podcast. I said, yeah. there's no way in hell Max Verstappen's not going P1 or P... If he's against himself, he's going P2. And if he is, is there and Sergio's in one, his positions are flipped, he's yeah. probably winning that race. The start behind a Mercedes... Or start ahead of a Mercedes, sorry, and finish behind it is yeah. something Max Verstappen would never do. Of course, that's all hypothetical, but... I'm pretty sure everyone agrees that that would be the case, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think for I think for Sergio, you said it best where like, you know, he's up against Max Verstappen at his best, but he's not up against Max Verstappen at 100% Max Verstappen. Like we saw we saw 100% Max Verstappen Q3 Final push, third sector, Max Verstappen, that was 100%. And that's one of the greatest third sectors at Monaco you were ever going to see in your life. Incredible. Like, no it was one incredible. There was, there was, I don't know any driver on the grid right now who could have done that. Like, even Alonso was like... <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, the Aston was struggling a bit in sector three, though, I think, is what he said, right? So a Alonso bit, was, was very quick, and then that's where he, they kind of were a bit slow. He clawed back almost three tenths, Bradley, in the third sector. <laughs> in the shortest sector. <laughs> like, yeah, like that's it. It was well, mindset it was his... of like this thing's coming home in a ball, or I'm gonna get pulled. That almost the entire three tenths was made up with his commitment through the swimming pool chicane. He I'm actually pretty... he made up he made up about a tenth through that swimming pool section, and then he made up about. He made up half. No, he made up another tenth heading into um, second last corner, and then in the breaking zone there. And then he made yeah. up. He made up another tenth on the very last corner on the exit by like being committed to the power sooner hitting than anyone else. <laughs> but he bounced off of one wall into another. Like the car was literally pointed at a wall. He was flat out. No one else did that. Yeah, no, the amount of commitment through that entire sector was incredible. And it really does seem like only he can do something like that. He is super max, as they call him. And uh, (laughs) he's certainly he's showing it this year. It's it's incredible. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The Miami performance, as you said, was also just 
ridiculous. I uh, definitely backed Paris to win that weekend once I oh, saw yeah. P9. I was like, oh, Max will get P2. I had all the confidence in the world that Max would get P2. I did actually think a race win was out of the question. Oh, yeah, me um, too. I said it on TSN. I said it on Sports Center. I'm like, yeah, I don't think he's winning this one. That's just way too much of an ask. <laughs> and like, he goes yeah. and wins. And I'm like, <gasps> yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> but anyway, Tim, uh, we've, we've done an hour here. I uh, really appreciate your time. I think this is a great preview to the Canadian Grand Prix. Really looking forward to it. Um, any last words? Yeah, no, I, I mean, head on over to tsn.ca, their auto racing page. Uh, we're going to have a lot of stuff coming out there. There's a lot of stuff there now that we've already built. So yeah, tsn.ca, um, their auto racing page or their Formula One page. A lot of fun stuff on there. Also, uh, SDPN as well. Check out the podcast, Nailing the Apex. You can get me on social media at Tim Harini. Uh, Bradley, thanks again, man, for doing this. Really appreciate it. Happy to see that you're keeping your podcast going. That is great. Good for you. Absolutely. Fully and what have you got going out. on? I, I, I saw you got, what, you're, uh, you're on the air now, eh? Yeah, yeah. I work uh, nice. for City News Kitchener. Um, Good for you. So, That's great. Yeah. Rogers family, your TSN. I don't know. It's no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, it's good, but, man. Good for you. That's good. I'm happy for you. I'm happy you got that opportunity. That's great. How did that come about? Um, I think when we were speaking last, I either was no, I wouldn't have been in school. I think I probably had my job in uh, in Woodstock. I was just working at an FM station. You were. Um. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I basically just was kind of looking all throughout the time I was there, and uh, I saw this opportunity to come up and apply. It was really as simple as that. It wasn't any um connection. I mean, I kind of had a bit of help, I guess, from a, a former teacher of mine at Fanshawe College, who uh, used to be a news director here, and I just I messaged her on LinkedIn. It was like, hey, um, is there any like tips in getting this job? So I mean, I guess there was that bit of help. But yeah, no, it was a pretty normal way of getting the job. And now I've been there four months or so. And yeah, really enjoying it. Got a lot of experience as a as a reporter, which is the most important thing, as you probably know. Yeah, for sure. What do you uh, what do you learn in the most? Uh, It's 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 hard to say, I guess it's it's just everything, you know, so many things can be thrown at you being a reporter. Um, I'm pretty much always doing news. I, I don't get to venture into sports too much, which I uh, would love to do, but um, it is what it is. And I just think that though the experience and what I've learned throughout um, my time there so far in only four months is, has been immense. Like I've it, it, going out to an event and covering it seems like it could be the same every time, but in reality, so many different events have different challenges and and i'm sure you know even just going from race to race or something it's just like they're not all the same even though at the end of the day you're still covering a race um and the more you do it the better you get it's all about getting those reps yeah 100 percent. good for you man congratulations it's great happy to, happy yeah. to see that thank you yeah good really stuff. appreciate it and uh as always appreciate your time hey thanks again for having me bradley really appreciate it man yeah all right take care What a great conversation with Tim. I always appreciate his time. Again, I'm someone who is so gracious with his time as well. Um, and I really liked the insight that he had about Lance Stroll's kind of journey. And I really look forward to uh, the piece from TSN. I'm uh, not sure if it's out yet. 
Um, but if it is, I haven't seen it, and I look forward to uh, to watching that. I'm sure it'll be a great job because Tim always does a great job. A friend of the podcast, I have to support him. But since this is a preview, I can't leave you guys without Brad's bets. Of course, we're still doing it. It doesn't matter that we just had an hour conversation. I'm still giving you the picks for the weekend. But first, we have to review my picks from Spain. Just quickly, I had both Red Bull drivers to finish on the podium. Perez was a massive letdown for me there, so that was a no. But I did hit on Max's double. Yes, I had him. Fastest in qualifying and to win the race. Of course, he had a grand slam, so that was an even bigger opportunity. But it's hard to predict when that happens, especially when Checo should be in Max's pit window. But not this race. Um, I absolutely hammered over 17.5 drivers classified. And again, we had all 20 drivers finish the race. And I think that you just have to keep taking advantage of the odds the sports books are giving you on how many drivers are going to finish the race until they adjust it accordingly because reliability has been bulletproof this year. I had amount of leaders in the race being two because I thought that Perez would be in the pit window. He would lead the race momentarily and then Max would drive off into the distance, right? And it was only one leader, so I missed on that one. And then on both my long shots of the week, I missed on those as well. Um, I didn't really have anything crazy. I think it was just Piastri points, which isn't even really a long shot. But anyway, this week, um, the kind of more basic bets that you can find on FanDuel, I have only three of those. Um, And one of them is basically, I'm going to just break it down for you. Do you believe... And the Mercedes upgrades. If you do, take Lewis to finish on the podium for minus 115. I still think that's a bit risky because he does have George Russell to contend with. And then if there's only that one spot left in the podium because Perez and Verstappen are up there, then that does make it a little bit difficult. But still, Lewis has always done well in Canada. He had the better of George last year in Canada. Um, I would back him to finish ahead of George here. Um, And I am someone who's very high on George Russell. I think he will come back in the second half of the season and uh, close that gap to Lewis at the moment. He's just had some bad luck, I think. But anyway, point is, I like Lewis in Canada over George. And if you do believe in those Mercedes upgrades and that they've taken a big step, and Alonso, or not Alonso, Aston Martin is still um, a step behind because they haven't brought that, you know, big performance upgrade yet, then I think you take Lewis. But the reason I'm breaking it down this way is because the odds for Alonso are the exact same. Minus 115. So if you think the Mercedes performance in Spain was a bit of a one-track wonder, kind of similar to last year where they were fast in Spain, and then in Canada they, I think, were like 40 seconds behind until the safety car came out, then take Alonso for minus 115. Because I really think that the Aston Martin performance in Spain was, uh, I would say, it was a bit of an outlier. I I think they are better than uh, what their performance looked like in Spain. I am very puzzled still by why they weren't quick there. Um, but I do believe that Alonso, even though Stroll is really good here and we did have Stroll on the podium for our predictions, I do, I just think Alonso is just a lot to contend, contend with. And like we said, he was in the front row last year. He's spectacular here. So take Alonso for minus 115. If you don't believe in Mercedes, basically if you're on the fence, then maybe just avoid it altogether. Cause it's not like the odds are that great. And instead take Lance Stroll for a top six finish. Yes, top six finish for Lance Stroll. I think he's only done that once this year. If he's, I'm not even sure if he's done it once. Um, Bahrain, I think he was seventh, right? Or maybe he was sixth. No, I think he was sixth in Bahrain because of the Leclerc retirement and Russell was P7. So 
yeah, um, he's only done it once all year, but I really do feel like Stroll had a bit of a comeback race in Spain, and now he has set, or actually, did he finish P6 in Spain? I, I think he actually did, so I'm crazy thinking all the way back to the first race. But anyway, point is, I think he's back. He always does do well here. He's going to want to do well here. I think that he can get in that top six, and especially if Ferrari still doesn't really know what was going on with Leclerc's car, there might be an issue there. Who knows? I I do like plus 150 for Lance Stroll top six here, so you can go after that. I'm looking for redemption also on both Red Bulls on the podium. Perez cannot continue to miss the podium. If he does, if he does a third consecutive race off the podium, yeah, I think so, right? Monaco, Spain, Canada. If he does that three times in a row in this Red Bull, that is just absolutely shocking. Um, so for minus 138, pretty decent odds. You're not quite doubling your money, but it's close. I do like uh, Red Bull both having having both cars in the podium again for the first time in way too long. But anyway, take that one because the odds for this will probably be they won't be this low until the second half of the season and some other cars catch up if that even happens. And then I think a no-brainer here is to take one of these two, if not both, take the over 18.5 drivers to finish the race. That is plus 240. Those are some fantastic odds for something that has happened quite a few times this year. However, you only need two cars to retire, one collision. Retirements seem inevitable at this point. They haven't happened in forever. Um, so, of course, there is still some risk there, but history is on our side here. We are getting a lot of uh, drivers finishing the race, so take advantage of it until uh, we have a reason to not bet on this. And then also, no safety car period. We haven't had a safety car since Australia, I don't think. So plus 175 for that. We could still have three retirements, but no safety car come out because they just pull into the pits. That's what happened in Monaco. So there you go. Plus 175 for that as well. And then the long shot of the week, of course, is backing Tim and I's prediction for Lance Stroll to finish on the podium. The best of the rest after Red Bull, Lance Stroll would be insane. Um, but it's plus 1,600 for someone who does well here and is in arguably the second fastest car. It is still pretty decent odds. I think it's more likely to happen than someone who should be 1,600. Do I think it's going to happen? Probably not, but that's why it's a long shot of the week. So there you go. Plus 1,600 of any weekend Lance Stroll is going to finish on the podium actually on merit it is this weekend and I do back Aston Martin to have a bit of a comeback weekend but anyway those are my picks for the week that will do it for episode 58 of Break Bias I'm your host Brad Kramer and I'll be back with episode 59 Monday to review the Canadian Grand Prix I hope you really enjoyed this chat with Tim as much as I did um I, I feel like I like talking to him more every time I do. So yeah, let's hope for a Lance Stroll podium. Goodbye.